Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So this is in the book of Revelations. You know the book of Revelations when St. John got this vision, right? And then he saw a bunch of things that are very difficult to understand, but it's such a beautiful book. But then in the beginning of the book of Revelations, there was a message from God to seven different churches. Okay, These seven churches were actual churches, like church buildings, right, in specific cities. And Christ had a message for each one of those churches. Okay, Some churches were doing better than others, right? And every one of them had their own bishop and so on. And we're about to read one of them or the message to one church called Laodicea, which is one of the, like the toughest messages. Okay, but it's a reminder for us when it comes to certain things. Okay, so it says the following. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... The angel here meaning the bishop. So to the bishop of the church of the Laodiceans, write the following. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, okay, which is Christ himself. Like the Amen, capital A, right? The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Then he says, I know your works as a church, that you are neither cold nor hot. Please listen carefully. You're neither cold nor hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's a very scary thing to hear. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. So you say that you're rich, meaning that you have, you know, the pleasures of the world and you find that you are in need of nothing, right? And do not know that in reality, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So you think that physically you're doing well, okay? But the reality is that the state of your soul is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You care about richness of the world. You care about, you care about materialistic stuff. You care about physical gold, I tell you, I counsel you, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, spiritual gold, that will last forever, right? That you may be truly rich from a spiritual perspective. And white garments, right? So the state of your soul is pure. That you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve. Okay? So like something that would actually clean your eyes. That you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, 
let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is happening here? It's a very, 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 very difficult message to hear. Okay. The church of Laodicea had an issue. Okay. So Laodicea comes from the word Laos. Laos means the people. Okay. So in other words, the church was bulking down under the pressure of society. At this point, during the time of St. John, as he writes this, the government, which was the Roman Empire, okay, was putting a lot of pressure against the church. So there was persecution against the church. And at the same time, what was happening is that sin is all over the place. During the Roman Empire, okay, sin was prevalent. You know what this means? So, you know, like the Romans were pagan worshippers. Pagan worship involved what? The worship of idols, which, which also involved what? Mm. Sometimes human sacrifice. And also, part of that sacrificial ritual, there was a lot of like stuff that was not appropriate at all. So often, the priests were actually not men, but women. They were priestesses. Right, and sometimes, unfortunately, sexual intercourse would be part of that ritual. Okay, so it was very, very uh, much prone to, to sexuality and things like this. Okay, there's a lot of things happening in the Roman Empire. If you, if you talk about rape, if you talk about like abortion, about having babies, throwing them in the garbage, like like stuff like that, like literally. Okay, the stuff was 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 insane. Right, but the Church of Laodicea was a church that was balking under the pressure of society. Meaning that they would allow society or societal thoughts to creep inside the church. So instead of the church being the light of the world that goes, that is full of the spirit and goes out and enlightens and preaches and so on, now the church was not strong enough and the darkness from the outside was coming in. And therefore Christ says this, in verse 15, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. And then he says, I could wish you were cold or hot. So it's very understandable that Christ says to us, I wish that you were hot. But why does it say, I wish you were cold? Hmm. Very good. If you're cold, at least you know you're not going in the right direction. And therefore, you know you ought to change your life. But you're not cold and you're not hot. You are lukewarm. What does that mean to us today? Yes. We get influenced easily by the society. Very good, right? Yes. So we're influenced by society? Mm-hmm. Good, so, so we're hypocrites sometimes, right? And sometimes I want to differentiate too, it's not necessarily hypocrites. Sometimes I'm a hypocrite when I say, Ah, oh, Habibi, you should love your sister, but I don't even put an effort to love my own brother, right? But if I try to love my brother and I'm not capable, that's not hypocrisy, that's weakness. There's a difference, right? But sometimes we're hypocrites, sometimes we're weak. Hmm. Like you come to church and like you want people to be like, oh wow, she's so young. Mm. People, she always goes to church, mm. but like when you're outside of church, she's like, 
all the bad things and we don't ask as a Christian. Very good. So we put masks inside the church and we have different masks inside the church, right? So in school, and that's, that's one of the main points, right? In school, I act in a way. In church, I act in a different way, right? In church, like I, I'm going to play the symbols and come to midnight praises and to liturgy and all of this stuff. And then on Monday morning, I'm putting like music with blasphemy in my own ears. Right? And I'm saying stuff. So I'm coming into church. I'm praising God. Then that same tongue is being used for gossiping. Right? For singing songs. For judging. Right? For lying. For swearing. Right? Something is not working. In other words, I'm not holy. Right? How do I become hot as a Christian? There's only one way to become hot. Someone else. Someone else. Mm. Mm. To follow like Christ's steps, how he lives on earth. Okay, very good. Which implies unity with Christ, right? But the other side that is also involved is what? So can I can I like come partake of the Eucharist and at the same time live a dual life, meaning I'm doing other things outside and I'm sinning and it's fine? No. So when I'm sinning, or sinning, by the way, it's not only an action. Sometimes it's just a thought that I'm not controlling. And the worst, the worst types, not, I don't want to say the worst type, it's not the worst, but the, the sins that affect us a lot without us realizing is our senses. What I think about, what I watch, what I listen to through social media, through music, especially that my ears are open to all of this garbage, right? And so I partook of the Eucharist, right? And I'm supposed to be inflamed of the Spirit, but at the same time, I'm putting in all this darkness, which becomes like mud that goes on the fire of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not able to work inside of me. I can't become hot that way. I can only become hot spiritually when what I throw on that fire is pieces of wood, right? So pieces of wood like more prayer, more liturgy, more Bible. I listen to a sermon. The more I do this without throwing the mud, the more I become hot. I become lukewarm when I throw pieces of wood, yet I'm throwing mud, right? And I become cold when there's no pieces of wood, and only mud. But God says, when we're lukewarm, He says, like, the problem is, is, is churchianity, which is like a very funny term that I'm sure you got from a sermon somewhere. Right? From Bible study? From Bible study? Great. Right? So, so, Hadar, have you given me just one second? Um, is when I'm inside the church, I do what I gotta do. So I come to Deeply Rooted, I go to Sunday school, I do all of these things, but my life is still not with God fully, right? I haven't made my decision to follow God wholeheartedly yet. Come to liturgy, don't offer repentance. Go to Sunday school, my friend calls me, and I have to go, I have to go out and talk to her, whatever, okay? Like, I, I'm, still, I'm still not there. So that leads to lukewarmness. But the problem with that is that I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. Like, everything that's on the list, I do, right? 
I come to church, I took communion, I confessed. By the way, I can confess and go out the same way as I came in. I can go partake of the Eucharist, come out the same way as I came in because my heart is not there. Right? I come to Tazbiha, but I come, I come late. You know, you guys tell us you have to come to midnight prayers. It's fine. We'll come. We'll put a checklist, okay, so you guys stop bothering us. You know what? We'll come. But I'll come halfway through. Like, there's still something that is missing. Like, no, we, you need to come from the beginning. Not because you're forced to, but because you want to. And sometimes you don't want to, but we know it's the right thing to do. Right? But God says very, very difficult things, right? He says at this point, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you'd be cold so you can repent. Why does it say, like he says it with so much, like it seems like, obviously God does not get literally angry, but it seems like he's angry. Like he, he wants to make it a point, right? That he says, I, I don't like this. Why? Why? Because it's very dangerous. You know, like the verses in the Bible, there's a verse that is very scary and there's a few of them, but you know, like there's a verse that Christ says to, to, to Christians, he tells them, get, get away from me because I have never knew you. I've never known you. And then they respond to him, like, what do you mean? Like, we've done miracles in your name. I've never known I don't know you. Right? It's, it's so dangerous. It's not because God is angry, but he wants us to realize how big of a deal it is. When I have this dual type of life, I have one foot in the church, one foot living in the world, and therefore my heart is divided. Something is wrong. And I will never experience God that way. I will never experience God that way. You know, the reasons why we experience God when we go to the monasteries, you know, for a full week, it's exactly because we do the opposite of this. Your phones are taken away. The structures are taken away. There's no possibility of much sin going on. And then it's a lot of prayer, a lot of repentance. It's like bang, bang. So after two, three days of detox, right, from the world, you start experiencing this spiritual reality, right? And, this, and then you're like, what is this? Right? Who, anybody came with us to the convent, right? Am I seeing something that is real? Or is that, is that how it is? Yeah, right? It's exactly how it is. And then we start discovering God and, and how beautiful He is. But while I'm in the world, I need to put the effort to make that done, especially through my senses. So the consecration of my senses, of my heart, of my mind, my thoughts are extremely important. If not, I never get to live right Christianity or the proper one. And then God says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because also he wants to make us understand that we're all part of his. So when we, when we become Christians, when we become baptized, we are part of God's what? Christ's what? Hmm? Body. When we partake of the Eucharist, he says, through this, you abide in me and I in you. So you abide in Christ. So when he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth, it means that you, you are not mine anymore. You don't abide with, in me anymore. Right? It's very, very scary stuff. And then he says, because you say I am rich, you think you're good. 
You think you're rich, that you've become wealthy, and you've become knowledgeable, and you know all of these things, right? And you need nothing. Yet the saints that have attained high levels of spirituality, they're always telling themselves, I'm just starting. Like, God, when will I start? And they're like so high spiritually, right? They never have this attitude. You never find, again, you never find a saint that is prideful. And they really mean it. It's not as if they're saying it in a fake way. Because they look at themselves and, and the doctrines within themselves and they look at God and like, man, you're so holy. Right? When will I start? But this is a different type of attitude. Oh no, I don't need God. And you hear this all the time, right? Why do I need God? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like he's the source of life. What do you mean? What do you mean, why do you need God? Have you become so prideful and you think that you're so independent and so strong that you say that you don't need God? Guys, I'm, I'm not joking. People out of the blue, out of the blue, get to be very sick. Like, and it's a matter of months. Just an accumulation of something in the brain, in the heart. People are gone overnight like this. And, and we see it again and again and again, right? And this stuff happens. We're not saying this to scare you, but this is how fragile a human being is. Yet we think we're all that. What do you got, right? That, that's the attitude here. So God says, I, again, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire, all of this stuff. So like all of this clothes, forget this stuff. I'll give you like white clothes. I'll give you the true gold. Like, and he speaks on a spiritual scale at this point. And he says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve. So you think that you see, you think that you know, you think that you're smart. I'm going to wash your eyes and you're going to see a different type of life. Okay. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So he's like, I'm not angry with you. But because I love you, I will rebuke you. And you might go through tribulations. I will chasten you because I am your father. And because I want your salvation. Okay. But the point here is, is where am I at in this? As a Christian, I know that the world is very difficult to live in today. But if I'm lukewarm, is that the way to live? No. Right. And again, and Christianity becomes heavy, boring, when it's designed to be so light and so joyful and so amazing. The people that start to taste Christianity, they, they can't go back. Sometimes you see people, I went, I was a couple of months ago, and I met this person, who was a Muslim, she became a Christian, okay? Like, especially in the beginning, there's this period of graces, of grace, where they're like, they like, they're, they're ready to preach on top of the mountains or top of the roof. They want to scream to people how amazing God is because they discovered God like once they were adults and you would speak to her and I'm looking at her, I'm like this, like my eyes are quiet. I'm like, oh man, I, I'm so jealous of you right now, Right? And like the love and the passion that they have for God and how much they want to preach his name and to convert everybody. And, and like she wants, like a, she wants references to learn and to, because she wants to go out and preach. But Habibi, if you, if you get to preach, 
people will look down on you. People will think that you're crazy. Like, I don't care. Like their the love for God overtakes any of this stuff. But this this is the reality of Christianity. Right? So God wants us to live this. So he says, therefore, be zealous and repent. And then he says some very, very nice positive stuff. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What's particular here? If you guys look at the details of this verse, verse 20. Again, I'll read it again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If you look into the details of the verse, there's some, some details are meaningful. Hmm. Is it something like, I'm going to be here for you, but if you want to let me in, I will come in. And if you don't, it's like the choice. Very good. So, so God comes and knocks at the door, the door of my heart, the door of my soul. Who opens the door? You do. Right. Does God barge in? Does he force himself in? Never. The devil does all the time, by the way. All the time. The devil knocks at the door. And he puts like he puts he puts a very beautiful mask on, right? That's how sin is like, right? The sin is destructive and will kill you. But in the beginning, it's something like it is so sweet and so sugary, and and like again, the devil puts a mask on and he knocks at the door and he he's very you know like a salesman, right? And he's like smiling and you know just 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 watch this video, just 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 be a friend to this person, whatever it is, right? And as soon as you unlock the door and you open it just a bit. What does he do? He barges in. He starts forcing himself through. He becomes extremely aggressive. That's what happens, right? If you start watching a bit of the video, the first few seconds, whatever it is that you do, right? That anybody does. Then like sin takes over. And when you try to close the door, you have to fight, you have to fight hard. God is very gentle. Never barges in. So I knock at the door, right? If you open the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. Eating with someone is something very special. We take it for granted sometimes. So if I invite people over or a friend over, that means this friend is highly esteemed in my eyes. I want to spend more time with you. And I'm offering, I'm sharing a meal with you, right? Sharing a meal is not only like a social gathering, but it has deeper meanings to this. Like we chat, we laugh, we eat, we are becoming in communion, in a sense, with each other. That's why our whole liturgical practice is also surrounded around a meal, right? So God's saying, like, at this point, if you open your door, you know, I'm here. And I become, there's a covenant with you. I become family. I become family. My love becomes unconditional. I, went, I want to come in and to spend 
that time with you, right? And then he says in verse 21, something so nice. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. What? To the person who overcomes, I am ready to share my throne with him. So when we talk about becoming sons and daughters of Christ or of God, right? This means that Christ or God shares his inheritance with us. I don't know if you understand what this means. You know, it's like, you know, you are daughters of your parents. Whatever is theirs is yours. When you become a daughter of God, whatever is his is yours. Literally. Meaning, like all the love, the joy, the peace that he has, he wants to give it to you. Everything that is meaningful, that is perfect, that he has, he wants to give it to you. He will not shy away from anything. He will give you everything he can. Even if it means his throne. Obviously here, it's not a literal throne. Right? There's no thrones, physical thrones in heaven. But he means that you become, or we become like princesses, in the, like princes and princesses of God, right? Because he's the king. Try to imagine every good thing that exists and it becomes yours. Again, here it's not about like seeking stuff. That's not the idea. We don't want to seek stuff. We want to seek God himself. But this is how readily he makes all these things available to us as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches how can i be a bit more holy can you guys can we brainstorm a bit how can we become a bit more holy on a daily basis yes I include God in everything. Like, okay. Uh, my, my dad always told me, like, when you go inside a place, say to, say to God, like, thank you for bringing me here. When you're in an exam, for instance, there's a question you can't uh, reply, or, like, you can't answer to it, just go, oh, God, help me in it. Uh, when you're eating, like, before anything, just put God in it, and you'll see God helping you. Very good. So, so remembering God at all times, in every occasion, excellent. Whether you need Him or you don't, right? Very good. Hmm. Okay. Also including the Jesus Very good. So pray without ceasing, including the Jesus prayer. Hmm. Uh, Very good. So I don't know if you guys caught that, but when we were in Atlanta and the convent, so we had a other than the nuns, we had a guest speaker, like Father Arseni, and he said something very nice. He said, in your heart or in your soul, okay, you have a throne and you have a cross, right? So if you put your eagle on the throne, then you crucify who? Christ. However, if you crucify your eagle, who will sit on the throne? Christ. And this is when you become 
full of God. So, so crucifying your ego leaves room for God to work with you, right? So in, essentially what you're saying, in other words, is, is even throughout my day, I can seek a life of humility, right? So to practically speaking, what does that mean? Hmm? Yeah. So let me help you. Let's say you go in the bus. The bus is packed. You can leave your seat for someone. You cannot fight for the seat, right? The last will be first, the first will be last. That, that, that idea, right? Give your time to help others with exams, right? Yes. Hmm. Sometimes when like, like it's hard for you to apologize. Mm, excellent. It's often hard to apologize, and that, that's because of the ego inside, right? So when I ask for forgiveness, or I apologize, even if I'm not mistaken, obviously, like, this is done with wisdom, but if I want to, to learn humility, even if I'm not even mistaken, I go, like, okay, fine, you know what, I'm sorry. Right, or, or it's, it's my right to do this, or whatever, or this is mine, but you know what, I'll give it away. But here I'm not talking about weakness or, or being passive. This is actually strength. So if I, if I want to say something and I don't have the strength to say it, that's not being humble. That's being weak. But if I have the strength to say it, I choose not to say it for the sake of humility, then I'm learning humility. Very good. Hmm. Also, I feel like when we're humble, we perceive things, like when, when someone, like things become a lot less offensive to us when we're humble. Because yes. Because you don't think everything as like, how could she say that to me? Or like, you, you take it as like, I'm not perfect. It doesn't mean like you should accept being humiliated, but I think like you become to have a lot less hate for other people because not everything becomes offensive. Very good. Excellent. Absolutely. <laughs> right. It's from one ear to the other. Doesn't change much. You want to say something? Very good. So open our hearts, or our ears, our minds to Christ. Very good. Hmm. I think something very practical that everyone can do is um, just like, instead of, it's also about humility, instead of glorifying yourself for everything, say thank God. So anything that you go through, like throughout the day, say thank God for this, thank God for this. So yes. Else, like, thank God this happened. Very thank good. God. So gratitude is huge. By the way, guys, the more grateful you are, the happier you become. There's a reason why we start every ritual with the Thanksgiving prayer. You can have everything in the world. And by the way, the people that have most stuff are the most unhappy. The, the people that are, you know, they can have so much and yet they are ungrateful. Like I, I see this and I hear stories of this. Like, you know, stories of people that have everything that people don't know what to give them as gifts anymore. And yet when they bring them a gift, regardless of what they do, something expensive or not, whatever, the person is so ungrateful, like, like and, and they're unhappy. And they're often in despair and like depressed and like, it's, it's, it's all about a life of gratitude. And then you have this like old Teta, right, in Egypt that has nothing. And you give her a sandwich and you give her their kids a sandwich and they're like in heaven. It's, it's really all about the attitude that you have, right? So being thankful to God and everything, that's what we try to do. Like we try to pray and thank God before we eat, 
right when we wake up right before, like before exams before we study like that that so but to do this throughout the day yes Sunday school also told us that we, we like we started with the thanksgiving prayer because it's the only thing that we can give to God, like thanks. Because mm. for example, like we like the money is not ours, okay? Like the time is also not ours. So thanks is the only thing that's actually ours that we can give to God. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah. So what God gives us everything, any part of being a real human is to give everything back to God. And you do this by giving thanks. So again we consecrate our time but more importantly our senses again our hearts okay yes okay also um it's something that we learned also in atlanta but i think a lot of this uh, like sins or like the bad image we portray of christ through us is because we say like i don't care but if but i think something important to do is to always remind myself like i i care what i do because i love christ and i love everyone around me and like I care to do the right thing it's not like it doesn't matter I don't care it's okay like it's important to care about what I do yes that's very good that's excellent okay. I'm not gonna take too long glory be to God forever and ever amen this talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media we hope that this talk has through the grace of God touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.